join me in commemorating the victims and the survivors of Michael Myers. Hey, Dave. Wow. Uh, sweet bonfire party. Um, what's it doing in my backyard? I was inspired by the new movie Halloween Kills, a film that meditates on mob mentality, generational trauma, toxic masculinity, and there's a bunch of fire. Also, Michael Myers kills someone with a light bulb in Halloween Kills, and it fucking rules. Exactly, Jonah. I'm making like Laurie Strode, baby. Evil dies tonight. All right, Evil all right, all right, Dave. Tonight. I get you. I get you. I get you. But again, why the bonfire in my backyard? You know, if you asked, I would have let you, but it's just weird that you did it. I'm eradicating evil, Jonah. I'm cleansing the earth with fire. And by the earth, I mean your closet. Whoa, wait, hold on. Is that my jean jacket? Evil dies tonight, Jonah. You're too old for this stuff. I'm sorry I don't wear flowy robes to Dodgers games, Dave. This is Galaxy Brains, Jonah. And today, the gloriously gory Halloween kills with host of the last podcast on the left, Henry Zabrowski. Hey, have you ever considered a seersucker suit? Maybe pinstripes? How about a Panama hat? It looks bad on a tall white dude, I'll tell you that right now. Take that back. I don't want Paul F. Tompkins to hear you say that. Yeah, <laughs> he's not tall. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's Big John, Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we start with the logical brain, advance to the critical brain, question everything with the interrogation brain, and of course, arrive at the blessed state of the galaxy brain. What? Yeah, I know. Today, we are closing the blinds and locking the doors of our suburban homes because Michael Myers is back, baby! And we are covering the latest installment of the Halloween franchise, Halloween Kills with the spookily talented co-host of Last Podcast on the Left, Henry Zabrowski. But before we awaken Henry from his crypt, we'll need to sharpen our mental knives with another edition of Logic Brain. If you haven't seen Halloween Kills, this episode is going to reveal all the gory details of that movie. So hit pause, go give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, then maybe see the fucking movie so that this is actually a worthwhile experience for you. You know, what What are you, what are you doing listening to this without seeing the movie? See the movie. See the movie. Movies are back. Jerry, why don't you see the movie? <laughs> oh. Here's a tiny bit of Rob Zombie's Dragula to give you time to turn off this episode. Rob Zombie gave us two of the shittiest Halloween movies of all time. Oh, I don't know. Check out some of that uh, Halloween Kills discourse on Twitter and you'll see that. I know. Like, now people are like, actually, Rob Zombie's Halloween movies are pretty good. Yeah. Hi, I'm an adult now, but I was 11 when those came out and they're pretty good. That's really all that matters is that I saw it when I was a young, impressionable child. Wow, interesting song choice, Dave. It was either this or the Pina Colada song. Those were the options I was given. 
Well, the town of Haddonfield doesn't have any choice in this new Halloween film. They have to confront Michael Myers whether they like it or not. At the end of the last movie, we know that the shape stood in Laurie Strode's burning basement, and it looks like all was lost until a brave fireman fell through the floor, giving Michael a chance to escape and immediately Halloween kill an entire squad of firefighters one-on-one like a metal music video version of The Raid. And thus, he heads out on another killing spree. But this time, the townsfolk of Haddonfield are fighting back against their longtime tormentor, except they form a kind of creepy mob that chases down an escaped hospital patient that they think is Michael Myers. And if they just looked at him for a second, maybe they think he wasn't it. But then they, they scare him so badly that they force him to jump to his death. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at him, you'd realize he looks like David Crosby and not Michael Myers. <laughs> he's shorter. He's got, like, billowing air. He looks like the guy in the jazz section of a record store that you don't want to get into a conversation with. <laughs> yeah, do not sit next to this guy on the subway, okay? He will talk your ear off. Come on. These people, look at this guy. Look at him. Anyway, this poor guy goes splat like someone threw pancake batter on a griddle. It's sick. The Haddonfield mob is led by baseball bat Tommy, the young boy that Laurie was babysitting in the first film. He's played by 80s teen idol Anthony Michael Hall, as opposed to Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, when he was played by Paul Rudd. I guess Paul Rudd was actually asked to be in the movie, and he said he couldn't do it because he was in Ghostbusters. Oh, interesting. Good choice. Paul Rudd. Yes. Anthony Michael Hall, the fourth Tommy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they should all get together and do like a little like convention or something. That'd be fun. Tommy Con. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy is consumed with a need for revenge on Michael, and that need turns pretty dark. And then the movie ends with Lori's daughter, Karen, luring the shape out into a trap where an angry mob absolutely goes to town on him with two by fours, bats, guns, and whatever else isn't nailed down. And funnily enough, you can see a lady holding her iron, like a clothes iron, and has since become a popular meme. She has been dubbed the Iron Maiden, and there's even a Facebook group dedicated to her. Well, if you look at that jumpsuit the shape is wearing, it does look a bit wrinkled. You know, when was the last time you took that thing into the dry cleaner? Yeah, she comes out there. She's like, you shouldn't die looking like a slob. (laughs) Wrinkles die tonight. (laughs) Wrinkles die tonight. Guys, surprise, surprise. All of this beating and shooting and mauling and maiming doesn't work. The shape is not a mere mortal. He's some kind of demon man who just wants to go home, which he does but not before killing everyone in his path, including Tommy and poor Karen. Yes, no more Judy Greer in this series. Lori stays in the hospital the whole movie monologuing about the nature of evil, and then the movie just ends. It's just over. There's still one final film in this trilogy from director David Gordon Green and co-writer Danny McBride. So Halloween Kills leaves us with a lot of questions, which we're going to try our damnedest to answer in a segment we call Critical Brain. Jonah, Halloween Kills. I know you love horror movies, and I know you love Halloween. So my question is, where does this rank in your personal Halloween ranking system? I love the original Halloween. Uh, Halloween 2 is a lot of fun. Halloween 3 is my favorite, but it's kind of like it's its own thing. It really has nothing to do with anything else. But it's like after that, I never really, I like 
my villains to have a little bit of charm to them. That's why I like Freddy Krueger or Candyman or Pinhead. I like this kind of bigger supernatural charm to my horror movie villains. There's fun to the stoicness of Jason Voorhees and Michael Myers, but I never got super into it as much as as a lot of other people did. But like, I did enjoy the first David Gordon Green uh, one. And this one, I thought they took another angle on it and they made it a fun, like a fun horror movie. The kills in this thing are amazing. They're plentiful and they're gory. You know, there's that one move where the, uh, the lady dressed up as a nurse like has the gun and, the, and Michael Myers kicks the door out and it hits her hand and then she blows her own head off. There was a bunch of great gore and and kills, and that's what I, I want from like a horror movie sequel. And it just, everyone was amped up and super dramatic and emotional. And that like made it fun. It made it feel like an old kind of schlocky, you know, horror movie from the uh, late 70s and 80s. Yeah, the tone of these two David Gordon Green, Danny McBride movies is kind of a hybrid of very serious, lots of speechifying and kind of, themes grand themes being explored and the other half is just like we really love those the sequels to halloween and we're gonna kind of like replicate that silliness you know when i was watching it they were uh they were just saying everything they felt <laughs> it's like that was everything was overly i think written and dramatic and at when i was, at the time i was like whoa this is really overwrought but then i as it continued on and the ridiculousness of the heightening of everything i was like oh i think that was also part of their process of making it i think this is a slight parody or at least an homage to that old school you know, B-movie horror stuff. Yeah, I, you can tell that the filmmakers behind these movies really have an affection for them and that it's not a put-on. This isn't just a job that they're doing. They really care and they really love these movies. But there is a part of it that does feel funny. And I don't know if it's because of the script that's co-written by Danny McBride or because of some of the casting. Take it easy, Big John. They're too young to know. Too young to know what? Do you have any idea whose house this was? No. You ever hear of Michael fucking Myers? I want to point out Scott MacArthur, who plays Big John in Halloween Kills. It almost seems like he's in a different film. Him and Michael McDonald, who plays his his husband. Totally different movie. And I don't know why there's this disconnect between this kind of vignette inside Michael Myers' childhood home and the rest of the tone of this movie. I just can't put my finger on it. Also, you can see in the background some shots. The Johns are on bench ads for their real estate company. I'm not sure if you caught that. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, I, I almost wish that there was a sitcom about Haddonfield. It's a town where they have a talent show at a bar uh, <laughs> on Halloween. Yeah, you think they would all be like, let's just stay home this year. How about that, guys? What if we maybe go on vacation? Doesn't uh, the Bahamas seem nice? Nobody leaves the town. They're all just having a great time on fucking Halloween. But like, who's to say how many times this has actually happened on Halloween? It's a fair point. It happened when Michael was a kid and he just killed his sister. And then, you know, was it like 20 years later, he comes home and there's that massacre of a night. But then, you know, with all these different sequels, how many Halloweens has he come back and done this at? We don't really know because of all the different timelines that get skewed. Yeah, this is something we should talk about very briefly is that this Halloween sort of sub-franchise, sub-series. Lori goes back to the hospital in this second sequel to Halloween. This, I don't even know how to say it. Halloween kills. In Halloween 2, she's in the hospital for most of the movie, right? And eventually, Mike, Mike Myers, my friend Mike Myers, shows up and starts killing people in the hospital. He does not show up to the hospital 
in this one. There's a thing where you're making this kind of stuff, I I feel, where you want to subvert the expectation. So it's like, you know, they're, they're loading Strodes up at the hospital. There's a lot of people there that can be killed. And I think they were playing with the expectation that people who are fans of the series know that this is what happens in the second one. Like it's like he comes in the hospital and then it gets, it gets pretty gnarly. I think they were playing with that expectation of like leading up. It's like, and then, you know, they talk about this, like he's coming here. He's definitely going to come this way. And then he doesn't. And I believe that is the only reason that they did that. Yeah. Also, it's an interesting thematic point to make, which is Laurie says, oh, he's coming for me. He only cares about me. It's about me. It's not really about her at all. He just wants to go home. And stare out that window. Maybe that's the fascination people have with the character is that like the motivation is just kind of like, who's to say? And it kind of drifts and Freddie just wanted to kill kids. Pinhead wants to show up when you solve a puzzle and show you the fine line between pleasure and pain. <laughs> Candyman doesn't want to be bothered you like repeating his name like an irritating little kid going Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Like he's going to show up, he's going to kill you groin to gullet. And he also has the tragic backstory of yes. being murdered for having an interracial relationship. There is no such thing here with Michael Myers. And, and that's, I think, what the jumping off point for this sequel really was, is the idea of Michael Myers and what does he represent. And he represents whatever you want because he's an empty vessel. He's nobody. He's nothing. He's just a killer. And that is a very unique concept in horror, I think. It's a human being. He is a human being. They, they, he's a person. And Halloween is part of a legacy of slasher horror. It kind of kicked off that genre in the United States. It was the one to pop off, but, you know, Black Christmas, Black Christmas came before this. Sure. But what really, like, got this going and what kind of created that milieu, this kind of format, is the giallo in Italy and Spain. Those movies that are about a masked killer or a killer uh, under a hood or wearing a hat or something, killing people with a butcher knife or, or whatever kind of blunt instrument they can find. But in those movies, more often than not, it's a human being. And then the point of the movie is to reveal who it is. You take the mask off and you're like, oh, it was my butler. It's Scooby-Doo shit. Yeah, it's all Scooby-Doo shit. Which I love. I love that kind of twisting of the film noir into a a horror. This took that idea of the masked killer and the thrill of just seeing kill after kill after kill and kind of a very loose plot and took all of that mystery part out of it and said, who gives a shit what he looks like underneath the mask? We know who he is. He's Michael Myers and he killed his sister and now he's killing again. That's all that matters. That's the thing, too, about like with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It, it's not just Leatherface that's interesting about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, he's an amazing, iconic horror character and is and is wild when you see him. It's pure chaos. But it's it's the family that created Leatherface. It's a unit of like terror that makes that stuff super scary. Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought up family, Jonah, because family. it's time once again for the segment that is turning the world upside down. (laughs) You know what it is. I think I have an idea where you're going with this one day. It's time for Galaxy Dads. Galaxy Dads! How do you know this person? Dad, this is Doug, a guy that I'm dating. The fuck? All right, Jonah, there's really only one proper dad in this movie. The galaxy dad I'm talking about, of course, is Michael Myers' dad. (laughs) 
What has he done? What did this man do or not do? Dr. Loomis is a father figure to Michael Myers. Okay, yeah, that's fair. We could talk about Dr. Loomis too, but let's start with Michael Myers' dad, who first of all raised a son who seemingly didn't speak and just stared out of a window all day, and then he killed his daughter. What did he do to make this young man into the greatest killer of all time? We don't know. Don't we want to know? We want to know. Yeah, that's why we should all watch the Rob Zombie movies again, because then we'll know way too much, and then we'll never want to ask the question again. That's why in good conscience, I'm voting present. I don't want to make an (laughs) assumption on the parenting skills of Mr. Myers. It could have been the public school system for all we know. Yeah. Could have been video games. Um, yeah, who knows? I don't know about what happened to, to little Mike Myers. Let's uh, give a zero here, or not a zero, an N.A. for Michael Myers' dad. I'm not going to blame him for this. Yeah, but Dr. Loomis, as a father figure, he's. I'm going to give him a fucking zero because he clearly didn't do shit for years. Yeah, what was that guy all, all was about? Was it 20 years, a kid? Like, like, nothing happened. What did you do? He just opens a file and starts jacking off under a table. Disgusting. You're sick, Dr. <laughs> Loomis. Uh, I do love Donald Pleasance in that movie. He's so creepy and weird. And of course, he's also in uh, John Carpenter's uh, Escape from New York as the president of the United States. Uh, Donald Pleasance also drunk for most of the Halloween shoot. The Richard Burton syndrome. It was very popular with British actors of the time. So all in all, this movie is super wild. It's uneven, but I, the more I think about it, the more I think it's like they were really just trying to do an ode to that style of horror film. I saw this when I was out in Philadelphia, and it, I was one of the only white dudes in the theater, and it was one of the best like cinematic moments I've had in a while where you know people were just like laughing at the right parts. Like when like there was a good kill, there would be like, oh, and some claps and like people yelling out stuff. It was amazing. And it was like, I was, that's when I was like starting to go, I was like, oh, this is the movie they were trying to make. The first one I felt like was more, let's tweak the format. Let's try to make a kind of, not a drama, but a movie about Lori. It's not a reboot. It's, it's, it is a true sequel, the David Gordon Green Halloween. Yeah, absolutely. It's taking the things that you remember from at least the first two, and, and tweaking that and, and, and giving us a satisfying ending. And then kind of they pull back and say, nope, that's not a satisfying ending. You got to wait for two more movies for the satisfying ending. But this one, despite, you know, maybe not 100% clicking and, and people being frustrated with some things about it, does ask a lot of really important questions while also making a really cool horror movie. And you see it in the, in the way that the people of Haddonfield behave. Even though this is, like you said, a crowd-pleasing movie with a lot of great kills, it is trying to make a point about evil and and what happens and generational trauma. And uh, the cliche is now, it's a meditation on grief. If you have a a somewhat boring horror movie, just call it a meditation on grief. But there's a reason why we're doing this. As a society. Which we live in. We we live in a society in which grief is a a constant. It's a fact of of existence is that you're going to be sad at some point. So this movie begs the question, what do people do with their pain? And in this film, the people of Haddonfield decide they're going to become an evil, angry mob and kill a poor, poor, innocent man. And, And so you could say, in a way, Michael Myers has created a new generation of sociopaths. Just by being, just by existing. And the kids in this movie, the kids of Haddonfield, are weirdly disturbing. 
Well, they grew up in a time where everyone just talked about this thing that happened once and they're like, you know, they don't care. Like no one, kids who weren't around for 9-11 don't know how weird it got for everybody, you know? But they made some awesome music after that, am I right? The oh, you better believe oh, it. Baby. The kids are bad, but part of why the kids are bad could be the influence of a toxic male. You know, like Michael Myers. He's toxic. He's a toxic masculinity to the hilt. Hold on. Dave, the movie does a great job of grappling with the question uh, what Michael Myers represents. He's an iconic horror monster with decades of stories about him. So like we were saying earlier, he could really stand for anything. So why would you think, <laughs> why, where does this come from? Like, why does he re represent toxic masculinity? Well, for starters, he's a guy. Sure. Point taken. All right. And second, he does not believe that what he's doing is wrong. Murdering people on Halloween is just what he's always done. He's old-fashioned like that. Yeah, traditionalist at heart. Back in my day, we killed anyone we wanted on Halloween night. Isn't this still a free country, he might say. Just because I want to kill some innocent bystanders with a butcher knife for standing in the wrong place, I should go to jail? Does that sound familiar to you? No, it does, it does not sound familiar at all. I think maybe we hang around with different kinds of people. The shape can stand in for any sort of trauma or nefarious energy, but it's telling that he mostly picks on women and children in this movie. Dave, I have to ask you, are you really qualified to be talking about toxic masculinity? Of course I am, Jonah. I'm the most toxic person I know. And I know that poor henchman from Robocop that turns into goo at the end. I think you're really nice, Dave. Why are you so hard on yourself? Because the only way for cisgendered straight men to confront toxic masculinity is to accept their own faults. Michael Myers doesn't think about anything but what he wants. That's his first problem. I don't know. Maybe I think his first problem is all the stabbing he does. That too. But in addition to all of that stuff. What, what oh, wait, 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 Dave, 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 Dave. What? What happened to me this time? You just got a book deal and a guest spot on Dr. Phil. I just got the email. You... You just evolved into your final form, a self-help expert. I don't believe in labels, Jonah. I'm just trying to offer a bit of wisdom to the world. You're just like Deepak Chopra or Mike Myers in The Love Guru. That's the other Mike Myers, right? Yes, you know that. Okay, hey, uh, hold on. I'm getting a call from my agent. Uh, he's saying Anderson Cooper wants to have lunch. Can you get us into the ad break? Dave, if you believe in me, I know anything is possible. Inside you is a little boy begging to come out. To do what? To play! Oh, okay. Sorry, I wasn't sure if I didn't know something, I should. You come out to play! You play! That's what little boys do. <laughs> well, when Dave gets back from his TED Talk on radical emotional honesty, we'll talk about how Halloween Kills makes Michael Myers the avatar for the world's problems with Henry Zabrowski. So please, don't leave us. And don't leave yourself, first and foremost. Nobody needs you like you need yourself. We should put that on a t-shirt. Kylie, can you get that put on a t-shirt? Maybe like a mug, like a mug or like a lunch, lunch pail. They do lunch pails. Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. I finished my whirlwind book tour, hosted a short-lived chat show on the Oprah Winfrey Network, and been accused of embezzlement. You really crammed a lot into that break. Efficiency is a pillar of self-improvement, Jonah. Anyway, I'm back on this show and no longer famous in any way. 
But I am lucky to be joined for this epic conversation about Halloween and toxic masculinity with perhaps the most masculine guest we've ever had. Please welcome Henry Zabrowski. Henry, thank you so much for joining us today. And didn't you love that intro? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. <laughs> I'm, I'm so filled with testosterone that my hair is running from the top of my body. <laughs> Are you an NFL player? Is that why? I Yeah. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, it was all the years of HGH from the podcasting Olympics that, I, you know, you really have to. <laughs> Who can read the stamps.com ad the fastest trials? <laughs> I wish. I wish. Those ads do just get longer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But make it your own. Yeah. Make it your own, though. Play with this yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Michael Myers for a second. Do you think that he is a stand-in for toxic masculinity? You know, they call him the shape for a reason, right? I think that Michael Myers, of the three main, like, we'll just say three main, new version of the universal monsters group, right? Between Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Michael Myers. Michael Myers is the most like general one. And they call him the shape, I think, for that reason. And I think you could put a lot on him. I think that there's a lot that you can apply to him if you just decide to like go through the movies and generate an argument about him. When you brought up the idea of his name being the shape, I thought you were going to go into something about Spanx. And how, and how spanks are forcing women to dress differently or something. That is a very fun idea. But if he did have like a big juicy butt yeah. in the new <laughs> Halloweens, I would agree with you. Just like just the words Haddonfield on his ass, just jiggling around as he walks. There's in. nothing shapey about uh, his his jumpsuit. It doesn't really show off the goods, if you know what I mean. It's the shoulders. Mm. And he's tall. He's tall. The shape is very <laughs> tall, which I actually think makes him very attractive to a lot of people. Listen, we all love our short kings on Galaxy Brains, okay? Yes. Joan and I are both very tall people, but we're here to support, okay? We're giving back to the community. I hurricane punch. That's what I do. <laughs> That's what I've learned to do as a short man. As a tall man, I, I've learned to apologize when uh, anyone bumps into me. <laughs> yeah, I have to hit the roof. But you know, Ben Kissel, my co-host, he's six foot seven. He talks about it all the time about how like I have the liberty to be furious in public, but he can't. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because he's too big. So he can't be, he can never raise his voice, but I can I'm always yelling. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you know who who I think is probably a fairly tall man is John Carpenter. And John Carpenter, of course, created Halloween with his uh his partner Deborah Hill. But he's also made other movies about tough guys throughout his career. Escape from New York, The Thing, They Live, Assault on Precinct 13, and, uh, you know, the list goes on. Ghosts of Mars, which we're going to be talking about. Yes, Ghost of Mars. I think Ghost of Mars is underappreciated. We're going to be talking about Ghost of Mars on Blank Check very soon. Yeah. Um, but he also directed movies that I think are kind of tweaking the idea of the tough guy like Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, it's like a parody of like tough guy action heroes. Total parody. Memoirs of an Invisible Man, which is a movie people forget John Carpenter directed that starred Chevy Chase. It was a good movie by Chevy Chase and him. I like that movie. We were obsessed with that movie as kids. I think it's super underrated. Yeah, it's maybe Chevy's best performance in a movie. And then he also did Starman, which is a very romantic, sweet movie. So my question is, is John Carpenter the most woke director when it comes to straight white men making movies about straight white men? Hmm. I think that he is an eclectic director, and I think that he comes from things from a lot of different angles. I think he's not afraid to question himself 
which I guess would be, you could consider that that is woke, right? Where he is actually, he's very self-conscious about what he is putting into the world. But his stuff also has many themes. I think that's also what's beautiful about horror in general. Is that like sci-fi when sci-fi and horror at its best specifically, like they really can go into a social issue in a way that is kind of user friendly for all of us people that mostly just like vivisected screaming people or octopus monsters. You know what I mean? Like I am not a drama person or a even a comedy person anymore. I basically watch genre movies all day long. I've become one of those. So it helps me learn. When they throw it in the in the horror movie, it's like when you put like cheese on vegetables, so that I'll I'll consume it. What's well, the spoonful of sugar idea of just? Uh, it's like you're gonna come in because there's some kills, but you might learn something along the you way. You might learn something. <laughs> you might get something. You see, I've always viewed Michael Myers as sort of about the the old idea of Michael Myers, which I think still holds, is the it's about the fear of the Christian retribution of having uh, premarital sex. And the idea that it's he is this roving like punishment system for anybody who dares think they could ever live a life that includes joy, it's even in a place <laughs> like Haddonfield, right? Like yeah. a small little town where you're just supposed to become a baby factory as soon as humanly possible. And so like the idea that like anybody who is sort of expressing themselves, well, like, you get chased down. You get chased down by life. It comes and it kills you. And then also just the fucking never ending, all never ceasing wall of death that will come for all of us. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting in this movie that he kills quite a few couples. As they're together. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That was what I always loved about Paranormal Activity, too, is about the, because I think a lot of movies, especially horror movies, are about how, like, how dangerous it is to be single, where it's like, I like it when it shows more. No, like, no, you can get killed if you're married as well. And that's an amazing thing, I think, to do uh, when it's, it, it makes, like, the deaths not much more gnarly because it's like, a loved one is watching another loved one get killed. And it's like, do they run away? Do they go and help? Do they just witness it or just hear it? Are they stuck? Are they Have they been paralyzed with their eyes open just watching this horrible thing? I think a good example of this is in 28 Weeks Later, when like in that amazing cold open in that house where the guy has like, he has the opportunity to like maybe go and run and help his uh, his wife, but then he just bones out. It shows her going like, where are you going? <laughs> but he got so full of like, just like self-preservation that he, he bolted. I think that's, that would happen with anybody in the, in the real world. I'm out. Yeah, I get. I mean, my wife and I, we run drills. <laughs> that is actually true. And I have done this thing. You remember when the earthquake hit in the middle of the night, like two days ago? That's how I knew the drills were working is that I woke up and threw my body over hers. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. I guess I do die first. I guess that's how this always goes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think there's something to that idea of uh, of being in a couple is supposed to protect you from all the bad stuff that's going to happen. Well, I'm safe and, and I've got my spouse and everything's fine, but actually, no, you're going to die too. <laughs> We're all going to die. We're going to watch each other die. It's going to suck. Also, it's nice because it's transgressive within the horror world because you didn't break any of the so-called moral codes like have sex while you're single or you're not married or any of that kind of shit where it, like, it breaks the rules. It shows to be like, oh, I live this like proper life. I was not supposed to meet the end of a knife 
by this anonymous serial killer. Like this wasn't supposed to happen to us. I'm pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pay taxes. Well, to, to go back to toxic masculinity as an idea, though, maybe some of that toxic masculinity is reflected in the way that he kills couples. Because we're always told, like, you, you got to go out and you got to go have sex. You know, you got to spread your seed. Being held down by a woman is not good. I mean, maybe you don't want to stay faithful and whatnot. Well, here comes Michael Myers to say, oh, you made the mistake. You should be polyamorous and you should be at the club right now doing Molly and having makeout sessions with random women in the back of the bar. So I have to kill you. <laughs> maybe there's something to that. That is what it, you can take from that as well. Absolutely. You should just be out partying. And also, especially on Halloween, which I think is also really important. Yeah. What are you, some kind of doofus? You're at home? Truly, yeah. Don't be home during Halloween because that's when you get murdered. The safest people in the entirety of the movie were at the talent show. Mm -hmm. They were at Stick or Treat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Go go, uh, go to a, one of those haunted mansions or something. Have some fun. Also, real quick, I, that, just, that was such a dumb, ridiculous move. Like It's like everyone's having fun at this talent show, and then a guy goes up and is like, uh, yeah, yeah, we're all having a good time tonight. tonight. Uh, uh, so, 40 years ago, on this very night. I know, we're, no, I know, everyone quiet down. A lot of people were murdered. Me and my friends almost died. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, bro, this is the talent show, not the moth. I, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting to do it. I get to it. I'm not here to cry, I'm sorry. Bro. Okay, sorry, sorry. I'll wrap it up. I'll wrap it up. It's that's, Halloween, bro. Yeah, I get it. Okay. Uh, and that's when I learned. I do feel like Tommy probably gives that speech every year, and they're like, oh, here he goes. One more time. Here he goes again. Yeah. 27 years ago, I almost died. Good Lord, Tommy, get a life. Evil dies tonight. I actually love the catchphrase. I, I know that it was technically, I think it's supposed to be corny. Yes. I think that's a part of it is the idea how like a catchphrase, catchphrases make people do dumb shit. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, look at Donald Trump. It's like the moral of the movie. Yeah, exactly. He had 900 catchphrases. Why do you think he got elected president? He's just made of catchphrases. It clings to the mind and then people repeat it, especially it's something very, it's very easily repeated. It's fucking evil dies tonight, three words, rolls off the tongue, evil dies tonight. I say it every day. Make Haddonfield safe again. Make Haddonfield safe again. That's too many words. What if it was one word? What if it was, let's say, a uh, bazinga? Ooh. Hey, that's how you know that's he's That's a joking. perfect catchphrase. That's fun. That's a fun word. That's a fun word. Laurie Strode. I want to talk about Laurie Strode because... We spent a lot of time just now talking about what does the shape represent? What does Michael Myers represent? What does Laurie represent in these movies? Laurie is now the protagonist, uh, I suppose, of these movies, even though she was kind of not important for quite a few of the sequels. What is going on here? What are we supposed to take from Laurie as a human being, as a character in these films? She's wonderful. The, where she goes from, the idea of like starring as the, starting as the, in the first Halloween, right? She is the final girl that we, we would now then like kind of, it created the molds of final girls. She was the vision of kind of like purity, like like innocence and resilience and that type of thing. But that was really it, right? It's fair. It's fairly shallow. I love how when we get to Halloween 2018, Laurie Strode shows actually more of like the PTSD kind of like this idea of like what would actually come 
from the events of yeah, her childhood. Yeah, she wouldn't just be like having a family and like she would be still struggling with this stuff. And her daughter would be struggling with her struggling with this stuff. Absolutely. And the idea of being constantly vigilant, like the the hypervigilance of, of like never knowing. And I think that it, it, it it's weird, right? Because there's maybe a symbolic thing. If Michael Myers is the embodiment about how we're all going to die no matter what, right? Like death comes for you no matter what. Laurie Strode is about people who live their lives kind of preparing for this death to come in a paranoid way. You mean like running drills, Henry? Yes. With your wife? No, no, no. See, ours is about saving ourselves. It's saving ourselves. All right, fair enough. Is that this idea that you maybe are ruining chunks of your life, constantly preparing for death because you're not living. Yeah, it's like the ancient Egyptians were constantly buying things so that they could put in their tombs so that they would have a more cushier afterlife. But Laurie Strode has just completely given up on anything other than killing Michael Myers one day. And it's a dream, <laughs> you know, because he's there. Those podcasters got in to see him. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what I don't understand. The podcasters got in. She could have got in, but obviously she's not trying to spring anything at that point because you didn't know that, like, until the end of Halloween 2018 that she's been waiting her whole life to set this trap. Yeah. Which they immediately fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing this shit for fucking... I, um, Big ups to the first responders. Yes. But this time you <laughs> fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys doing out there, huh? What are you guys doing? I know you're always rushing to get the fires. All right? And I think it's important that you do that, and I'm grateful that you do that. But there was no other houses around. The house is already gone. <laughs> the house is gone. Yeah. Okay? Just let it burn down. They're all screaming, let it burn. Let it burn. And they're like, we must put this fire out because what would we do with all this water? And you're like, <laughs> so they did fuck up. More importantly, they got to save this giant man in the William Shatner mask. They got to save him. I, what I love is just like, it's like Michael Myers is in there, standing there. He's just going, well, you had a good run. You didn't get the prize at the end. Never got Lori, but you had a good run. You killed a lot of people, scared a lot of people. Well, it's a good way to go out. And all of a sudden, boom. He, and he just looks like he goes, sick. <laughs> I actually, do you think that he would have survived no matter what? I don't think you can kill him. And actually, legally, they're not allowed to kill him. Oh, because of the IP? Yes. Cannot die. Michael Myers is not. That is true. So is, they're going to have to make him evil. They're going to have to. It turns out Loomis was a warlock and noticed that this evil kid was the perfect being to embody some kind of spell to make them uh, eternally evil. I want them to nuke Haddonfield. <laughs> God, Glenn plays an army colonel and he's like, we got to take this town out. But then what, what happens if it's like they, they nuke it like they nuke the town at the end of Return of the Living Dead and then all the rain falls and it's just a ton of Michael Myers starts springing up from the ground. Now everyone's Michael Myers. I God, oh my God. But that becomes the new normal. Yes. Planet of the shapes. All the Michael Myers just pop up and then she's like, do you want a party? And then it go, <laughs> cuts to credits and, and it says, we'll see you next time for Halloween, everybody. Who would they kill? Each other? Yeah, they could stab at each other for years. That's got to be fun because then you don't have to run. It's not always tracking because that has to be the most exhausting part for Mike Myers. Like, I know that he loves to stab and he loves to he loves to bash your head against the wall until it's mush. That's like probably his second favorite. But I don't know if he likes the walking. I mean, he's tall guys like a lot of tall guys. I know ankles are not the best. And <laughs> I don't think he likes. And in this one, he's like 68. Yeah, he's an old guy. <laughs> 
so old. Like he's old throughout this whole thing. So he he honestly must be suffering from a lot of a joint pain. This movie is a celebration of our elderly. It is. Yeah, he's making the same motion all the time. The stabby, you think there's some arthritis that sets in. Rotator cuff. Those triceps just aren't firing like they used to. That's what the movie was missing. It's just like him killing somebody, throwing something, and then just going, Ugh, uh, uh, oh boy. Take it. I wanted to see one time just Michael just taking a lean on a tree while going after somebody. Putting on a back brace. <laughs> you know, he's going to go. Nothing beats laying down for 10 minutes. This is the best part of my day other than the killing. I need inserts. Oh, arch support. <laughs> the, the platter fasciitis is acting up. No more arches in these feet. None at all. Just flat. Flat. <laughs> uh, all right. What a final question for you. What is the most toxic horror villain of all time? Is it Freddy? Probably. Is it Jason? Maybe. Or Michael? Hmm. I mean, Freddy was a... We, we've had multiple conversations. Obviously, Freddy Krueger was... He is technically not a child molester in the first series. He was retconned as one for the remake. So I think that Freddy Krueger is the most toxic of all of them. Yeah. I agree. I think that it's easy to plan it on him. Because Jason is is a victim of circumstance. He's a victim. Yep. And Michael is just an empty vessel. He's just a he's just a killing machine. Uh, so there's no there's no agency to Michael Myers. He's just kind of doing stuff. He's a robot. But Freddy Krueger wants to do these evil things. He enjoys it. He gets off on it. It's gross. I really still like. I think that the Rob Zombie Halloweens get like flack. They get a lot of pushback. But at least. Rob Zombie was trying something with them, and I thought it was interesting him taking, like, the idea of, like, what if we built out this serial killer origin story of Michael Myers, but now, like, re-watching, because I've been watching all of the Halloween films this year, I really start to appreciate the no-origin Michael. The, he is just death. Well, that's the thing you were saying about earlier. It's like you're able to like now anybody, almost like a, a vague piece of art, like anyone can project something onto him now. The blank face, the sunken eyes. It's like you can just kind of go, this is what he represents to me. Because you're just desperately trying to figure out the chaos that is happening around you. You want it to have meaning. You really would like it because that's comforting. Like this idea, oh, maybe then in a way I'm dying for a purpose. These people are dying for a purpose. There's There has to be something that's led to this when actually sometimes, no, sometimes death just comes to town. People hate chaos. It's very scary. Yeah, it's very scary. That's why religion exists because uh, no one wants to accept chaos. That's why conspiracy theorists exist, because no one wants to accept that things are just madness. They hate chaos, but they love mess, like Marie Kondo. I would say the most toxic out of all classic films from horror movies is Skeet Ulrich's character from Scream. Yes, <laughs> yes absolutely. Yes. Yes. That's an interesting one that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point down the road on this show is Scream, because it's a character that... It's it's a mantle people pick up here and there. Like people are just like, well, I'm going to be Ghostface. I want to be Ghostface this month. What if I was Ghostface? What if I was Ghostface this year? I want to be Ghostface. And you're like, you don't know what he's done. You're just saying things. You don't even barely understand Ghostface. That's what I would say to him. I knew Ghostface. You're no Ghostface. I knew him. You know, actually, he's also very toxic. That came up in the conversation with my wife and I the other day. Phantom of the Opera. Oh, hell yeah. Ultimate goth boyfriend. Yeah, that guy is, he's ne he's negging. He's uh, withholding of emotions. Like, I hate that guy. He wants total control. You know who the biggest beta male out of all uh, horror villains? 
is Leatherface, as uh, seen in uh, Texas Chainsaw Part 2, where he doesn't know how to hit on Stretch. And so he just starts like humping the air with his, <laughs> with his <laughs> yeah. chainsaw thing that might make her laugh, realizes it doesn't, and it's embarrassing, and he runs away. <laughs> That's my move, too. He's the most like an open mic comedian <laughs> of all of them. But, you know, but he's got a simple heart. Like, that's the other thing about Leatherface. (laughs) He kind of has this, like, simple side to him where, like, he's a little bit innocent because, you know, grandpa's also kind of went past everyone back into, like, you can't be truly evil if you're dementia-ridden because you don't fully know. It's like It is kind of funny to see within the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family, you have all the different evil alignments. Yes. Uh, there's a different flavor of evil for whatever your tastes are. And that's what I feel about this podcast. Henry, thank you so much for joining us today. This was an absolute pleasure. We barely scratched the surface of the Halloween movies. So I feel like we have to have you back very soon. I absolutely love talking them and go see Halloween kills in the theater. If you can, I make no money even from this. I'm not in the movie. I'm not working for a PR company. I just think it was a funny and fun ass time in the theater. Each week, we wrap up a show with a Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. Here's Vinny Mancini, fresh off his recent turn as an extra in The Many Saints of Newark. Hey, Galaxy Brains. This is Vince Mancini. Uh, My take is that the Kenny Banya character on Seinfeld is actually a cruel satire of Jerry Seinfeld and that Larry David just never told him. All right. Take care. All right. So this take, uh, I personally asked for Vince to call in with this take. Because I was I was shocked to see him say this on Twitter. Kenny Banya being a parody of Jerry Seinfeld feels accurate. I mean, it feels like Jerry has these kind of weird tics and he's very uh, annoying in a lot of ways when you see him interact with other people on the show or in real life. So I, I'm kind of I'm smitten with this take. But at the same time, I don't think that Larry David or anybody else on the show would be specifically making fun of Jerry and Jerry not noticing. I'd like to think that he's got some self-awareness about himself. So I I don't know. I I think this is not the case. I think this is more of a broad parody of bad stand-up comics in general. There were a lot of Jerry Seinfeld impersonators in the 90s and 80s uh, who were doing bad versions of his comedy, his observational comedy. So I don't think that this is about Jerry. I think this is about somebody's just kind of lame. That's where I'm I'm falling on this is this is more just like Kenny Banya being a parody of the Seinfeld clones. If you want to call in, just like Vince Mancini from the very great to pod yourself a gun Sopranos podcast, we'd love to hear your galaxy brain take on next week's episode topic, Suspiria. And that means both Suspirias, okay? The Argento uh, original and the remake. So whatever you want to say about Suspiria as an idea or Argento and his films in total, we'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Or the difference between ballet and modern dance. (laughs) Our number is 213-570-8069, and it's also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail with your take. And please, why don't you just leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts? That's a wrap on this week's Galaxy Brains. Next week, we're keeping this horse show running by talking about both versions of Suspiria. So joining us for this perilous pile driver of an episode is AEW pro wrestling star Ruby Soho. Halloween ain't over until we say it is. And I say Halloween doesn't end until I'm physically carving a turkey. Jonah, you're a vegan. 
It's Tofurky Dave, or sometimes known as a celebration roast. But don't worry about my dietary restrictions, just read the credits. That I can do. Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show is engineered by Dan Turek with music from Gautam Shrikishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Fushstick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Melnizek, who helped create the show! Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. Take us home, angry mob! Wrinkles die tonight! Wrinkles die tonight! Wrinkles die tonight! Wrinkles die tonight!